We're back, and you're with Villain Cast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris the Villain Pains. Weekly podcasts featuring either my fellow black belt, Naki Arshed, on our show Reap the Week, or compelling interviews with other personalities across jiu-jitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to see receive these episodes one day early, along with exclusive video content and online coaching, you can find out more via Chris Payne's bjj.com or join our Discord channel to put your ideas through for future episode discussions. For now, though, Rob Cole. Hello, sir. Hey, Chris. Thank how you, you doing? For, Good. I would say thank you for staying up late to talk to me, but it's not late for you. <laughs> no, no. I need I need to stop befriending Americans. Maybe I should like talk to people in my own country. Uh, I, you, <laughs> you probably did. You run them all off already. Now you're going to the states to get people that still like you. Yeah, exactly. No one, <laughs> no one in England likes me, so I guess it's over here oh. then. Um, yeah. So last time we spoke was just before Maine, uh, yep. the Globetrotters camp. Uh, that was what a month ago, yep. uh, six weeks ago. It's been that long. Yeah, yeah, what was it, end of May, May 30th or something, something like that. So, yeah, that's been almost like five weeks, that's insane. Um, So, yeah, I I feel a lot has changed since then. Um, I know you've been really running on this ecological approach uh, since the last time we talked, so how have things changed for you? How did did anything change at the camp, or what has has changed since our, our last conversation? Um, yeah, a lot, I think, uh, the camp was really, really helpful for this type of stuff because like I said, I was going to do an ecological approach to leg locks with a camp of a whole bunch of people. And, and when I went into it, I'm like, okay, this is either going to go really well or it's going to go really bad. So I decided to, you know, go with it anyway. You know, I'm one of the more newer coaches there. So it's like, I don't have, you know, I can't just throw out any idea and be like, Hey, this is awesome. You know, I got to, I think about things. I'm like trying to worry about, you know, how is this going to come off? And I'm like, but I like to challenge myself. So let me just try it with a bunch of people, throw out leg locks in the ecological way, tell them they're not learning any technique, uh, whatever that word is. And let's just see how it goes. And after about the first, first, I was, I started thinking, man, this is going to go really bad, you know, because I was training with my buddy a week before and I was just kind of going over how I was going to teach. And, and he was like, so this is what you're going to show him. <laughs> I'm like, you were no help. You actually made it be feel worse. How this is going to go. <laughs> and I go, you're a purple belt. And this is it. You're already so like, what is, what's going on? So, uh, so as soon as the class started and about five minutes in, I'm like, all right, this is going to go really well. You know, once we started doing stuff and I'm like, all right, this is going really well. There was about had to be over 60 people. I still put it as intermediate just so it would be a little smaller and I wouldn't just have people with like one day, you know, and I know I I don't really have a, I don't think anything's intermediate or advanced anyway, but I did it just for the people showing up, you know, just to see. But I said beforehand, hey, it's very beginner friendly. So, you know, let's just see how this works. And uh, it went really well. Um I just taught, you know, I did a lot more talking than I usually would in a class, you know, because it is a seminar. People want to hear you a little bit. You know, you can't just be like, hey, do this. <laughs> go, you know, go yeah. play. You know, they're recording it. So you kind of want to, you know, you want to talk about the ideas and 
you know, I talked a little bit about the approach, the training methodology and how it's going to go. And so we just started and we just kept building on the games, one or two tasks per thing. And, and I got so much positive feedback from it. And I was really happy about that. Like not even just after the class, like the next day, just walking to lunch and some lady came up to me and she's like, Hey, I escaped a heel hook and I've never trained leg locks in my life. And I'm like, all right, there you go. You know, that that's what I want to see because I, I want to see that transfer. You know, that's that's like a thing I've been thinking about. Uh, I was just out in my backyard working out today, thinking about the interview. And I'm like, oh, I want to bring up transfer because I think that's when we start talking about learning and technique and all that. We're, we're really trying to take what we know or what jujitsu knows and transfer. How do you transfer it to somebody else? And I think for coaches, a lot of times over the years, I've heard you talk about it. You know, you just kind of want to take what you know and be like, all right, this is what I know. I'm going to give it to you. And now you're going to go do it. But, but we know you're not the person you're teaching is not built like us. They don't have the training we have. They don't have the side like to, to you, I'm five foot, nothing, a hundred and nothing, you know, (laughs) and to a, a teen, I'm like the end final boss, you know, I'm much bigger. So how do I train two different people, two different whatever, and, you know, show them something that they could take and it actually transfers to them. So I think when we stick with this whole concept thing and this ecological approach or games or whatever you want to call anything, I think I'm looking for that to transfer. So when I hear people go, hey, I'm already escaping heel hooks after – you know, I probably talked for a good 20, 30 minutes of the hour. So they probably played for about a half hour. And if they're already getting transfer for that, I know I'm on the right path. You know, so that that's what, that was a real positive experience for me because I've seen it with people I've never trained with before, the majority of them. Uh, I even took a, I took a fellow black belt, Aaron, who is not a big leg lock guy. And I even said, hey, I wanted you to use you. So we could see, you know, because you're going to be my training partner here. Can we do this without somebody who already knows what I'm going to do and whatever? I just wanted to be a pure, just this is what I'm putting out there. Let's see if it works. And we just kept building on it. And I got great positive feedback all throughout the camp, you know, people coming up to me. And I, I was really excited about it. So that, that went great. You know, it just made me keep going like, all right, I'm on the right path, you know. So how would you describe what you did then? How did you teach heel hooks in a ecological way? So I think, and you know, you would probably agree because we're from the defensive jujitsu background. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even like to say I teach, teach defensive jujitsu as much as I like to teach first from a defensive perspective. Because if you teach from a defensive perspective first, and if, you, if the defensive player knows what to do first, then the offensive player has to adjust. So now the offense will pick up to the defense, where traditionally we show a lot of offensive-based stuff, and the defensive guy just has to survive or just kind of power through, you know? <laughs> like, And that, that doesn't really work, in my opinion, as well. It, it, you know. So what I did is I started the way I've taught leg locks, uh, this way, the ecological approach, I've done it with my gi friends who are, you know, wanted to learn it. And I took the same approach. And this is, a, this is a, something I was doing before I even got into all the reading and all the, all the stuff. So I, t- I kind of stumbled upon this. So what I did is 
I started them out in the saddle, full saddle, uh, with the secondary leg. So you're in the worst possible spot you should be. So I gave the defensive person the task of all you're going to do is hide your heel. You're going to point your toe, hide your heel, and just do that and try to work out of this position with your hands. You're not going to hand fight and try to stop them from heel hooking you. You're just going to defend and hide your heel. And now the offensive person, try to hold that saddle. Don't let them escape. Just don't let them escape. And but, and then when you feel they're escaping, just try to reach for a grip and just keep hiding that heel until you get caught or until they break it. Just something super basic. One or two tasks for each person. So now they're already hiding their heel. They know their job. So they have a heel uh, hiding their heel on their bottom foot, and the one that's in the ankle lock grip is the boot. So they're learning both defenses. Point your toes and the boot. You're kind of battling against both of the primary attacks from the saddle. So now the next game is that's very quick. You could play that, you know, super fast. You're just defending. You're just trying to hold. That's all you do. That's what you should do from any guard, any position. Learn how to hold it first. Because if you can't hold it, like uh, I think you talk about it a lot, great leg lockers have that that bite, right? They got your hip, and you know you're not getting away. And yeah. so why drill a bunch of heel hook reps of all these positions if you never even know how to hold the end game position? So we'll start from the end game, and we'll work back. And um, and I explained to them, I said, I don't, I, I don't know who said this. I don't know if I came up with this analogy or I probably heard it through all my listening. It's kind of like the cheat code of, you probably said it, who knows. Um, if you do puzzles backwards, if you start from the end point of a puzzle and you go backwards, it's usually easier to get out than going from the start because there's less obstacles in the way. So um, I thought that was a great analogy for working backwards. So now I take it from there. And then now I say, okay, hold that position as long as you can. And now just look for uh, just a regular false grip. You know, we're not, we're not ripping off heel hooks in seminar because that's not important at this point. You could, you could train the details on your own time. So now, now they're actually playing the game full saddle. When you feel like you've got control of the hip, now you reach for the hook and they keep hiding their heel and they spin out, you know, post, spin out, spin out and just keep doing that. So now we had that stage. That's another game. And then I, for fun, I threw in, let's start from 90-10 or uh, outside Senkaku, whatever you want to call it, which is a 50-50 with the leg across, you know, and you got your knee line free. It's the same defense. It's the exact same defense. You have to get, you know, but now since you're in the 90-10, you can rotate around the hip and expose the heel more. Saddle offers you more control. 90-10 gives you more heel exposure. So now they're defending off that. And all they're doing is still hiding their heel because that's all you need to learn at first. There's no point in battling heel hooks if you every time you get caught, you're done. Or your heel's just hanging out there like a loose tooth and they just catch it every time, right? Defend first and go from there. And then we backed it up more. And then we went to like, uh, uh, like the butt scoot where you're both sitting holding each other's ankles. And then... That's where I grabbed your inspiration from, too. I said, all right, we're going to add a new game. You're going to look for the position. But the other person, try to. both people try to stand up when you can't. So now they have to control the bottom leg, and they have to look for an entanglement. You know, we just kind of kept building and building from there. And everybody's just scrapping, moving around, playing in the game, and they're in the fire. And they knew they weren't going to get their knee torn off 
because they weren't playing for that. So, because you don't have to. Once you're caught, you're caught. We, we don't have to worry about fighting off heel hooks at this point. So we just kept playing these different games like that, and it was fun. Everybody, you know, these are, you know, 20, 30, 40-year-old people, you know, just having fun playing leg locks. And I was just like, all right, this is great. And then you hear, all right, I'm already defending them. I'm already using this knowledge. And I'm like, all right, this is great. So that that's pretty much how the class went. There was a bunch of little games here and there, but it was, there was only a one or two tasks per game. Generally, hide your heel and look to control. One person's looking to control. One person's looking to hide. And then you just go back and forth with that. And then you just keep integrating more complex games after you build up that base base defensive knowledge. So that's pretty much how it went. And that's how I've always ta- kind of been teaching heel hook for the last two years with people, you know? Weirdly enough, like I said, when I uh, I went to uh, one of Danaher's seminars probably about six, seven years ago, and I went to one of Craig Jones's seminars probably roughly five, six years ago as well. Um, oh, by the way, has your camera just turned off? No. No, not that I know. Oh, okay. I can still see. Must be yeah. in- Are you there? Yeah, yeah, it must be an internet thing. Oh, well, I can still hear you. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, weirdly, even in the seminar that I went to of Danaher's years and years and years ago, one of the things they did was, like, you you would, uh, it was for uh, the outside heel hook, so you'd, you'd expose the heel off uh, of uh, Ashy, um, and then, ah, you're back. Uh, and then we'd, uh, oh, you'd have to latch onto the person's leg as they try to escape to try and get the yeah. best bite. So you wouldn't be using your hands, you'd just be using your legs to like control the hip and the knee. Um anything and then the the other person had to try and like pull their leg free, but not if you pull it too aggressively then, you know, drills over, restart. So it was always finding that kind of sweet sweet spot. Um yep. and then funny enough, pretty much exactly what you just described, Craig Jones did for a inside heel hook seminar. Oh uh, nice. where where you had to um, point your toes and hide your heel uh, before the heel hooker could uh, grab your heel. And the second they grab your heel and like caught it, game is over. Um, you tap, and so it's funny that like again, like you know the way you're describing training heel hooks. Uh, these guys have been doing for years. And you think, yeah. Again, we're, we're we've been missing a trick, I think, and and. Um, Wondering why sometimes progress can be slow, and it's like you know, good uh, training does keep hitting the same points. So the fact that you're just doing this, even without going to those seminars, you're hitting the same beats. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Like both these guys are talking about hip, you know, controlling the leg thoroughly and and creating games to control the leg, even in seminar form, um, and spending a long time just on that part of it, not necessarily the the breaking mechanics but on the control aspect um it's yeah that's probably one of the first parts that made me think like uh you know it's like like you said like it's it's not what your hands are doing it's what your legs are doing it's like how much the control uh can you keep um yeah i think one of the one of the good points you also raised there you know seminars a bit different is that one thing that i've you know i've my current thing is like looking at jujitsu a lot more uh, objectively, and looking at things and going that makes no sense. 
why we're doing that. I've I've really started to to realize as well is getting not bored, but feeling I have to demonstrate my worth by changing up the drill regularly instead of just allowing people to do their thing. Um, like if you know, if I've got an hour, I may change the drill three or four times just because it'll see, you know, warm up three techniques in a soda kind of style of jujitsu still kind of hangover. You know, I got rid of the warm up, but yeah, still like yeah. it'd be a new aspect of the technique. You know, every now and then. Um, now I pretty much show just one thing and then just leave it. Anything. So I just yeah. leave the leave the group to it. I'll go get a coffee yeah. and just watch. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's because it's looking at the idea of you know if you set someone like five minutes on the clock or even ten minutes on the clock, like you name me anything you can learn in five minutes. <laughs> so yeah. it's um, it's easy, I think, to especially as a coach, to feel like you have to keep jumping in and giving new information and and showing your worth. And so I'm just going, you know what, this is going to take time. Uh, yeah, just yeah. enjoy. Um, yeah, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that a lot too. Where it's like you want to jump in, you want to change things. You're like these people are coming in, and you want to show your new technique and your this and that. And it's like, and I was and I was thinking about this today, and I'm like, you know, we I we probably all felt it where like you you teach something and you watch you know the crowd, you watch the side and you see the blue belt, the purple belt, and they just kind of stop drilling in the old days because they're like, well, I got it. Yeah. I, I, and you're like, well, do you really have it? And guess what? They kind of do because in that drilling format, they have it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what are you, you going to show now? So, which is funny because when I do this leg lock stuff, one of the things I first started thinking when I was trying, I was like, well, how do I show entries? Where's all the, you know, that's a big thing. Where are my entries? You know, where are my entries? Yeah. Guess what? When you keep backing it up, those entries emerge themselves. You watch it and you go, and then when I was playing that uh, game where we start uh, double ankle or whatever, Delaheva sitting butt scoot. Now we're both looking for entries, which are real, you know, not that great a context because you're kind of just done a double butt scoot. But if both are looking to actively get up and as you're getting up and you know, you're going to lose that game, you're going to attach to that leg any way you can. And you're going to come up with some entries because those are the real entries, the ones in live training. Those are the entries you come up with. And yeah. I was, and it was funny because I'm like, okay, so how do we teach advanced techniques? You know, like like the false reap is considered a, a advanced technique, right? You would never be like, let me show you a false reap uh, as a basic level or whatever. That's just not happening. If you had a classic Globetrotters, you wouldn't title it beginner. Well, maybe you would yeah, yeah. just to mess with them. So... <laughs> Uh, no, so anyway, so I've been I've been playing with it, and uh, my buddy, uh, this other guy I train with, he's wanting he's doing way more leg locks now because we've been teaching him this leg lock stuff, and he used to just be a smash pass or pressure pressure, which is great, but he wants that leg lock ability also, and he's like, well, why don't, you, why don't we do the false reap? I go, all right, I go, this is how we're gonna do the false reap. We're gonna put you in the false reap. The whole thing, no setup, no entry, no whatever. You're just going to start. You're going to have your arm laced through. You're going to hold it tight, and your leg's going to be over. And now, go. 
And all you need to do is you need to get your bottom leg to go behind the other person's leg. How are you going to do that? You're going to push off your toes. You're going to post on your shoulder. If you just get smashed, the false re- it's not going to work for you when you're learning it. So just yeah. put yourself in those things, fail, and figure it out. And and it, he started throwing out false reaps already when we went live sparring. And it's like, okay, something's there. You know, there was no drilling. There was no eight steps to get to the false reap. There was just – because as people start trying to unwind your entanglements, you put those back in, right? So if you're if they're naturally trying to unwind you, you're trying to put them back in or go back to where you were. So there's your entries. Your entries will emerge out of that. That's yeah. that's kind of what I've been playing with on there for for stuff like that. You know where I feel like I don't have to teach a bunch of techniques to get there. You're going to kind of get there on your own if you know where you have to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, completely like working working backwards and and the way I, the way I used to re- describe it was. You know, you'd have your your breaking mechanics, which, and Lachlan Jar said this really well. Uh, I think one was well Instagram videos, is we don't ever break bones. So I think breaking mechanics yeah. are a poor choice. It's more ripping mechanics of like ligaments, um, yes. unless you are intending to break like the forearm. Yeah. Uh, but then, so you've got your breaking mechanics. Understand what it is you're actually trying to destroy, um, and then the. What is the position that allows that, like Spiderweb or Ashi or Senkaku or whatever? Um, and that usually involves controlling that core joint, the one that's nearest to their their torso. Um, as soon as you've identified that and you've spent time working on how... I think one of the, other, one of the, one of the bigger points there as well, and this is a, an interesting one when it comes to drilling, is what you do is only going to work against that person that you're currently with. And so the second you choose someone new, especially when it comes to leg locks, you've got long legs, you know, tree trunks and scrawny legs, etc. Um, how you hold that leg is going to be different, but the, you you setting into your head that you need to hold the leg. And so that's an interesting uh, outcome of making it a game, as in you need to control the leg. I'm not even going to really tell you how. You just need to control the leg. Um and as soon as you've identified that as your minor control position, then it's it's finding your way to it from a major control situation, guard, top position, whatever. And then your transition between the major and the minor is pretty much where normal jiu-jitsu kind of lives, but is an infinite process. Um, and as long as you know where you want to go, you can normally... The only limit is your inventiveness and your imagination. And you can find your way there in an infinite number of ways that we can't teach, we can't drill, and are so appropriate to the, the chaos that that person is in at that point in time. And I think the, the like I said, the bigger point that we're kind of, you're getting to, I think, is giving people the space to teach themselves and understand the concepts like they try to transfer the our understanding into their head instead of just a uh, carbon copy of like just do what you know here's a guide um i think one of the ways i've been explaining it recently is um via the, the idea of of video games of uh, which seems kind of appropriate that it's kind of behind <laughs> me right now if yeah. i can see on the video yeah. i've just got like really old consoles next yeah. to my arm um is that you you 
are being taught the game via mechanics in the game. Um, the enemies line up with the mechanics to help teach you the, the mechanics of your, your protagonist. Um, and it's either... You know, that's a certain level of uh, I said on the the Bernanke podcast as well. That's the complexity. The intensity can change, but the you know the mechanics can stay the same. And then I know a boss fight will happen. Then a new complexity is introduced. A new mechanic that your your protagonist can do, or you come across now flying enemies. And there's a you know you don't just go straight in with the same level of intensity. You're being taught a new mechanic, and so. When I'm teaching, you know, this kind of approaching class, it's like, right, here's the mechanic that we're going to be using. Um, your partner is going to use this mechanic and and adjust the intensity, but but keep that mechanic. And I say, like, I, all I want you to do is, is use your legs to uh, try and slip out of the the heel and just hide your heel. Don't use your hands. That's a different mechanic, and your partner is going to adjust the intensity yeah. accordingly. And when you hit a, a level of intensity that is just enough for you stay there work at that level and it takes a really good partner to not then get bored and go ah fuck it let's change the complexity or fuck it let's make it even harder for him and i always feel like i have to say every single day your your job is to make your partner better not prove that you're better than your partner um and just keep working on that intensity if they if they find that they max out your intensity introduce a new mechanic restart the intensity um And that can take so much time to the point where you could leave a drill, like I said, like you know, like you said, with the the hiding the heel drill and escaping your leg, leave it there. And to be a better partner, you're going to have to control that leg more effectively. And so you're you're by side effect picking up better leg control uh, to work with the the better defense. And that whole yeah. idea of a you know a purple belt drill ten times. Oh, I've got it now. No, you haven't. Not in this method. Uh, we can be here forever. Um, and we can we can spend the next month, two months doing this, and yeah. you're going to be awesome at it. Um, and that kind of like again, it's it takes, it kind of changes our role from professor and and person who's like giving out a guide to strategist, because I think also it's really important again to not overcoach. I mean that for everyone. Like, yeah. say if you're you're doing the game approach and you see your partner struggling, you want to kind of jump in and go, yeah, but you could just do this. And at that point, you've kind of like given them a guide to the game. Like, this is like, this is a cheat to beat the boss instead of yes. allowing them to like learn. And yep. it's a definitely a, a thing that I'm getting wrong or have got wrong in the past. It's, it's taken me a while to get out of the habit. I'm just going. No, I'm going to shut the fuck up. Like, if I'm going to teach you through the games I create, I don't also need to give you a guide. Like, I need to be able to introduce a mechanic, leave it like that. How it might take, you know, if you can't solve it in three minutes, who gives a fuck? Like, we've got all class. There's not <laughs> yeah. a ru- there's no rush here. Uh, when you do solve it, you crack the problem yeah. uh, from the puzzles that I've created for you. Now that's a skill that you can incorporate in rolling. Such as, like I say, finding your way back to the the false reap, etc. But I can't. You won't do that if I just give you the answer every yeah, single it's, time. It's uh, it's the point of like this ecological approach is that the main goal is skill acquisition. You know, how do we get the skill to do that? 
And it was funny because it was interesting you saying with the puzzles and making this and that. So when I first started learning the defensive stuff, um, it was kind of during the pandemic era. And, you know, I was doing some stuff with my daughter and then, you know, doing that. And then I started training with my buddies in the basement, you know, and then I'm just, I would just try to postures, right? And I would have my buddy. I said, okay, I'm just going to stay in these postures and move around. I want you to choke me as many times as you can. I don't care. And we would do that for an hour. This is an hour live training, right? And I was getting choked like crazy. And then, so the first, I was just getting choked. Then I come back next week. Now, guess what? I'm not getting as choked as much, and his stuff isn't working. Then the adaptation starts. Then I'm thinking, all right, I got this defensive stuff down. I'm untappable by this guy. Next week, he's doing different things because he has to get creative. And now he's choking me out again. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then I would have to adapt again. But this was so much time in these positions. It is, it is not really replicable in a straight drilling environment. It's just no. that level that of that. And so when I take something like when I was teaching heel hooks in the saddle, I put them in the saddle, and I could have went for 30 minutes or more, this is how you hold it. This is how I hold it. I put my foot here, my hip here, my this and that. This is what you got to look out for. I didn't tell them. I said, hold it any way you can. If their leg keeps getting out, change what you're doing. This is on you. This is, I don't want to, a good saying I like, I don't want to rob you of your learning. You know, yeah. now if you're doing it for a week or two weeks and you still can't do anything, yeah, maybe I'll pop in or, or something's really frustrating you or whatever. Yeah. Then, then I become that guide and I give them some, I say, Hey, try this, you know, or Hey, what, what's, or, or a better question, how do they keep getting out? And then you get, then they, then they kind of have to work through that answer themselves, you know, and you could give them some little knowledge, little tidbits here and there. But if you know they keep doing this, like I, I used to hold it more with, a, you know, a foot to foot and my bottom knee was down, like just from a saddle with my leg across. And my buddy's flexible and he just he would just grab his foot and pull it across. And I'm like, OK, that's not working. So now I have to lift my knee up to close off that space. Do I really need somebody to tell me that? Like, I can kind of figure that out myself. But if I go with somebody else, I can use that control for a different purpose because we all have different body types, different levels of experience and whatever. It's just that's going to happen, you know. But the main point is I got to control that hip. I can't let you get this escape. I have to keep your whatever, your knee here, your knee line contained. That's the important stuff. So an idea I've been playing with in my head uh, recently with is and it'd be probably I might have to do like the Chris Payne's whiteboard to kind of really explain it but I won't do that right now so <laughs> so if you look at so I, I break it down like this okay so we're just gonna we're gonna leave the ecological constraint led approach out of this on the level so the highest level of expression of jujitsu which everybody likes is sparring right so yeah. you spar that's how you decide what you – so what do you, you do when you spar? You both are using all the tactics and stuff you know. That's what you do. So you spar, right? And you decide this, what stuff I learned is it going to be applicable. So sparring is the highest level. Now, what's underneath that? Positional sparring, right? It's kind of 
You may have a goal in that, but generally positional sparring is still using what both people already know, right? So then the next level down would be drilling of a technique against a non-resisting opponent, and that's just a movement pattern. That's all it is, right? Drilling against a non-resisting opponent is a movement pattern. It may have some benefit early on, whatever. We, we don't have to break down all that. And then underneath that would be your technical demonstration. So you demonstrate it, and then they go drill it. And then one yeah. level below that is concepts. And if all you did was talk about concepts and never did anything else, you would know a lot of concepts, but you have no ability to apply it, right? So yeah. if I'm looking at that hierarchy, sparring up top, concepts on the bottom. So to me, there's a place in between positional sparring and sparring where you take concepts, you convert them to tasks and goals, and now you have the constraint-led ecological approach. It lies just under sparring and just above positional sparring. So that transfer, those concepts are going to transfer in that live environment, and now it's so easy to go to that next level of sparring and get that transfer to come. So you... You, pat, you don't have to talk about concepts all day. Just convert them to tasks and goals. You don't have to do a million technical demonstrations of it to show how much you know. Because then you, then you don't have to drill what I taught you, which is my version of what a technique is to my body type. And then you don't even have to do the positional sparring aspect. You go right to the constraint-led games approach. And now you take those concepts, convert it to tasks, put them in that live environment. You're pretty much almost to sparring but you're that's that to me that's the goldilocks zone of learning if we're talking about if you believe concepts are the thing that are important to me that's where they lie and then when you go to spar everything transfers it transfers almost so much quicker in my opinion from what i'm seeing you know uh, like i say anybody could train any way they want this is kind of the way i'm doing it what i'm doing is sparring so i I I like to hear yeah again rob binaki said it quite well is that you know the 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 breast product isn't always the one that kind of raises to the top is it's it's the one that kind of marketed better or whatever um and so like i say i think it's the because i did ask about the anxiety of doing things differently and you know is this the best approach um and it sounds you know i say from people who, who study sports um constraint led uh learning does seem to work better for sports but unfortunately jiu-jitsu we still learn as a martial art with the the mainstream model um i think one of the the i said one of the 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 useful analogies that i've kind of been using recently is this idea of uh because most people have played soccer i hope depends depends where you're from but most of a little bit more messing around yeah (laughs) um (laughs) But say, uh, I think a good example I've been using is the idea of a goalkeeper is, right, you're going to just, I'm going to keep sending it into the left-hand corner for you to drill, to block your body. I'm not going to blast it, and I'm not just going to mildly pass it. I'm going to put it in enough, and you know where it's going, that you just have to block the ball with your body. That's the concept. Put your body in the way. Um, and then I then adjust myself to keep sending it your way until eventually I'm trying to send it past you Um, so there's the game I'm trying to like 
find a level like one above where you're at to put it past you. Sometimes I might, sometimes I might not. Uh, and then once we've kind of like got to a point where we're both like trying and I'm not succeeding, I'll change it up and I'll say, right, I'm going to put it into the right hand corner or I might go up to the top left as well. And let's introduce something new. So it's still yeah. a game. The concept really hasn't changed. Um, but you're just slowly improving that person over time. And especially if there's like a skill disparity. And I think this is also one of the important ones is like I said about, you know, this, we we're coming up with these strategies now of how we want to see people operate in jujitsu, what we think is the best version of jujitsu. Um, and again, one of the, the analogies I've been kind of using is there has to be that continuity between drilling and sparring as like I said, because there's that, you know, where we're kind of teaching now is just below sparring. So to expect people to then just do something entirely different in sparring is like, what was the point in the class then, really? Like, we're learning yeah. this way to try and, you know. Uh, but I think that also comes down to the people you're with. And the, the analogy I've been giving is, say if I'm playing football with my, my nine-year-old son and he's in goal, I've got a choice. I can either blast it past his his frail body, yeah, uh, and and potentially smash him up. Um, I can kick it wide, um, and just send it, you know, into the into a, the far end of the pitch, nowhere near him, or I can put it in accordingly to his level. So, um. You know, I'm not going to blast it past. I'm not going to do the wrong thing and kick it wide. I'm going to kick it just enough that he might save it. He might not. And I've got to find that nuance myself to to not go crazy on him. So that then changes. I think again, there's a good point that was made is that most people their version of competition is sparring, and that kind of creates quite a toxic environment sometimes. Is that again? You've probably heard it saying, "Oh, there's this purple belt that smashes me up, or whatever." If you're a white belt, and you're like, "Yeah, what's that purple?" That's that's the adult smashing the ball at the kid, right? Yeah, um, and then yeah. making, and then saying doing something entirely different, like just playing in a completely wrong way compared to what we think is a good strategy. Like you know, my current thing is I need, I want everyone to get up, and then someone going, "Yeah, but yeah. it's a white belt. I'm just going to play on my back." Well, you're just kicking it wide then. Like the yeah. strategy is, you need to put it in the goal. Why are you? Why are you sending it wide for him? And if you're not sending yeah. it wide, you smash the teeth out of him. Like, yeah, there has to be the adult in the room. And I think once you kind of, because that that mentality can then go down into the gamified things that we're running. Is that again, like you know, you have people trying to prove that they're just better than their partner and start to smash the ball, you know, quite hard at the goal and not letting that person just save for a bit. Um, yeah. Getting that rally going, getting that repetition going, letting them, you know, figure out how the, their body's going to move to block the ball in that way. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, playing a lot of this gamified stuff and watching people do it and then getting out of hand, like I say, because you, you, you put a really good point of, it sits just below sparring. And I think that it takes a good control of the mindset of the gym to not allow it to go into sparring because then 
it's like, well, why are we doing this? We go. I could have just said let's spar. Um, yeah. No. No. I uh, I heard you talk about that, and I, yeah, I wanted to. Yeah. My my opinion with that too is like, it, it depends on the level, depends on the people, and it depends if you set up the game constrained enough. You know, if it's constrained enough, hopefully it doesn't go full sparring. But then I still have to step in and go. You guys are in like yeah. a weird position. Just reset, and they have to reset. But then sometimes yeah. at that point, depending on the level or the game itself, if that person, so if the, say you're playing like a, a mount game and you got both arms up, you know, you're, you're already in the worst possible spot. They got both elbows above their shoulders. Top player's job is just to pin one or two arms to the player's head and then just work from there and work for, say, a head and arm or any type. I don't even like the name submissions because then it kind of gets the bottom person to what they're defending. All I have to defend is an arm bar. I never do that. I never say I just, you're going to hold this person in this spot, try to pin both their arms or one arm and progress to what you believe you can know or get to. And if that person starts turning to his back and this and that, if you still have a good set of control, finish that round out. I don't care how much it keeps going and how much it's sparring, but if you have that dominant control, which we're all working for, let me see you go as far as you can with it. And once it gets broken, now we could reset back. So some games could be, you could take you 10 seconds to get out of that mount, or it could take you two and a half minutes, depending on what you did, you know, and now you switch back and the other person goes. And that's why I think it's good to actually switch your partners between drills also. Yes. Because you get the purple belt that just wants to smash the white belt. And, and I'll tell you what, actually that's not bad sometimes. Sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta get beat up a little bit, right? And then you get to switch and then go on. But then you got to tell that person, don't destroy him. Like, what are you doing here? You did it once. Let's try to work the game or challenge yourself and look for a different submission. Look for a different way to control them. Do something here because you know a little more. So it depends. The level of the room is always an issue, right? So you got to kind of figure out. So, but I think that's the culture of the gym. You know, yeah. if, if the culture is destroy at any chance you get, it's going to be really hard to do some of this stuff with levels of disparity. But if you say like, cause I'll go sometimes with the teen or a white belt or whatever, and I'll tell them and I'll, you know, I'll get them in and I'll be like, listen, I'm going to smash you now. I'm not really, but I want them to give that level of, uh Oh, this is going to get a little harder for me. You know, when you get people that are a little, uh, it's a little easier to control and then I'll give them a little wrinkle and throw something in that I know, you know, but I just don't want people crushing people. But sometimes it, you're going to get crushed a little bit, and that's jujitsu, right? And you kind of learn from there. Maybe that's that toughness. But also, it can't be like that the whole round. It just, it just, you know, it'd be too much. And then you, that person just loses all their motivation. You know, you got to kind of know who you're dealing with. And that's what becoming a, you know, coach and knowing who your partner is, you know, or knowing who your students are, right? You got to kind of know what's going on. And I'll tell people, hey, don't, I don't, it's weird because it's hard to tell somebody to go 50%. Or 75% because they don't really know what that means. But you could maybe say something like, can you do that? Can you get to that position more efficiently? Can you get it without using all your energy? Because that's what we're looking to do, right? You take effective and turn it into more efficient. And then we keep building on there. So that that's kind of it. But sometimes I'll let those rounds go on a little longer if that person, if those two people know what's going to go on and that control is still 
the main goal, right? In those ways, it depends. It depends on the situation and the game, you know? Can't I say... Um... It's a weird point to kind of make, and I think because we're both quite of the old school, and yes. we were of the days of getting our head kicked in. Yes, um, yes, I, I remember those days probably as much as you do. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a, a an environment of uh, kill or be killed. Um, yes, which I think it's easy for us to have a romanticized idea of it and going. Yeah, but it, it issues toughness and and stuff like that. But I say, part of me looking at maybe it's the the dad instincts now coming out of you know if I look at it from that perspective of if I'm playing you know football with my nine year old son and I am blasting it through him relentlessly, he's not going to have fun. He's probably not going to want to play football with me ever again. Oh yeah. Um, but also yeah, the idea that we are only as good as the people around us. And so if I want to get better at football, okay, yeah, I'm better than him now. But if I just spend week in, week out, just putting it at him at a decent rate, not smashing his little life in and not kicking it wide, um, eventually he's going to start saving my shots instead of me being impatient and going, right, he's the person I can learn to play football with. We haven't got many around here. It's just me and him. So I'm going to make him better. He isn't going to get better if I just fuck around with him or if I do things wrong. I need to play at a level that he's going to get better until eventually I can't... He's now 15 and now I can't play as much as I used to. Now I've actually got to try against him. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah. I'm definitely not not the old school way anymore. That's how I came up in the 90s. It was pretty much you show up, you get beat down, if you come back, you're in. If you don't come back, you couldn't make it, right? That's how it was. That's just a, such a old-school way, and I don't even want to yeah, do yeah. that type of style anymore. You know, but so – and then you look, and sometimes you have to switch the partners up, and you're like, listen, this person just doesn't know how to go with this lower belt. So switch up the rounds, yeah. switch that person. You know, maybe, you know, then you go with them, and then you kind of put it on them. And say, hey, see, you got you got to learn how to play a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's what that's yeah, what we're doing here. You know, that's that's kind of how we're doing. We're we're trying to get better. We're all yeah. Like I I tell all the students all the time. I go, we're not trying to bring up one or two people that compete. We're trying to bring yeah. up the whole level of the gym. You know, the whole level of the class because that's how we're going to get better. And that's that's why I initially liked all the defensive stuff because I just I'm kind of I think we're on the same mind of when we learn something new we're doing we just kind of do it all in and then just see yeah. where it goes so like all I was teaching for defense was just defense everybody's defense and offense constantly to make it harder to get tapped so that brings up the level of the offense so now yeah. these games are the same base where everybody has a task everybody has a goal we're all playing we're all switching with each other we're all tra- training and then if you're a better person, you're going to get better because the other people start getting better also. So you're going to kind of have to calibrate to the room and what's going on, you know. And as coaches, we have to keep constantly changing that, changing the game, you know, changing little things, maybe switching the partners. The, the game should never stay the same, you know, which have a little tweak after time, 
you know, not during like the straight class, Hmm. but like you change a little bit, add a little complexity for the people that are a little better, take away complexity for the people not getting as much because you can have a really good person and somebody who's not that good. If it's constrained enough, it kind of evens it out. So that, that's kind of, so you just say, Hey, let's go spar. We know what's going to happen. You know, it's just going to happen. It's like, uh, it's like thumb wrestling. If I get somebody my age who's never trained jujitsu and we're exactly the same and we start thumb wrestling, it's such a constrained environment. I'll probably lose some and win some. Now we open it all up and say, let's wrestle and let's play jujitsu. And he's never trained a day in his life. Then all my experience comes out. So we have to, keep finding these constraint levels per that level of the, of the person trying to learn. No, completely. And you definitely have, as a coach have to kind of get that grip on the students. So those toxic ideas don't just suddenly take over, especially like I say, cause it, it's, it, it's introducing a lot more. All, all the training is now, there isn't that dry drilling and so there isn't those kind of hiding places where you know people can be like you know fine i'll go with the white belt i'll just stay still he can do 10 triangles on me it's like you know they can kind of hide in those moments but then the sparring comes out it's like no now he now he gets it um yeah Yeah, exactly um and because all the training is now in a gamified way that that put those people can now be uh almost let let free that their inner inner dickhead can come out and yeah it's, it's up to us to kind of like yeah keep those kind of um restrictions on and go right it's that's you, this needs to change as a, as a gym mentality now like yeah. it's not just me showing technique it's like right we're a team and uh, we have to play these games because we rely on our partners to educate us it's not just me showing you a technique and you just doing it 10 times each it's no we have to have good partners across the board otherwise none of us are going to improve if we have one person or, or you know people out for themselves again like you know it was interesting that rob said of um people can see sparring as their competition if they don't compete or even if they do compete like they 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 compete against the other people in the gym like oh i need to beat this purple belt or i need to beat that brown belt or i need to like eventually catch that purple belt or blue belt is that already is that kind of uh problematic approach i think of um them wanting to 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 hold people down almost hoard information for themselves and only allow themselves to improve which is just going to create a natural ceiling because your partners are never going to catch up with you yeah yeah they're they're, they're always they're always going to be better they're always going to be the one dominating and this and that so that's why it's up to the game designers or the coaches itself to find out what's where can we put these things you know or you can tell that person, you pull them off to the side, and even when they go to spar, say, listen, you're you're great at smash passing and dominating. When you go into your round, I want you to, you know, play guard. You know, you want you to do something different. I want you to try to explore different things, you know, just different ways of doing jujitsu. Because 
you need more of that experience in all these different in, in phases, you know, which is funny because you're talking about the whole get up thing and you guys like don't do guard anymore. And um, I've taken that, stole that game from you the, that you taught at uh, the no guard with the sweep and get up and this and that. Because I've always said when I'm training, don't give up easy sweeps. Don't give any cheap sweeps. Always pop back up. Well, what happens? Guy falls. Somebody falls over. They, you know, it's like I've fallen and I can't get up and they just lay in guard. You know, and it's like, I love guard. Like I'm saying, I'm an unapologetic guard puller. I'll do it all day. But that's for me. And I'm, hmm. you know, I'm 48 now, and, and that's just how I kind of play when I want to. I've been actually trying to do more passing now, you know, smashing and doing all that stuff because I want it, because I'm teaching my students more different things in these games. But I started implementing the you're either playing guard or you're getting up. That's that's the two rules that I'm having right now. You're either because mm-hmm. don't accept side control, don't accept any of the other. Because now, when you're playing guard, and as soon as you feel there's no pressure and you're getting up, and even if you're playing on defense, those guard pulls are going to open up more because you're giving people two directions now, instead of just always looking to get your guard back. A good player will be able to stop you from getting your guard back, but if you give them the get up, where you actually have to learn how to pin somebody now. Oh man, like you're saying, like you've shown, like we were playing that game in your class, uh, the no guard game, uh, in Maine, and everybody's scrambling and huffing and puffing and jumping around. And I'm like, all right, this is good. So we take that, implement it in my class, play a game, and now I could do that from everywhere though. We, uh, every game has a, every, the most important thing to me in jujitsu now has been pinning or not getting pinned. Because those were all the submissions and everything. End game leads from there. If you can't hold somebody down, you know, what's going to happen? If you could get a sweep and you can't finish that sweep, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth a good sweep. So now people start understanding why you take care of that back leg, why you corral the back leg or the bottom elbow, and all these little things, all these hidden, invisible jujitsu secrets that nobody you can't drill that, right? There's never been the drill mm. for those type of things. You have to play it in these live environments. So you throw them in, and now you say, your job is just get back to your feet. You're not going to accept that guard. And now we can add more complexity, more games. I'll just have a game where uh, somebody will be in butterfly guard, and they're just constantly trying to attack to a, attach to a leg. The top person is just hand fighting, and there's always hand fighting, Hand fighting, but you can't run away because we want to play in that state. So deny attachments for as long as you can. And all you're going to do is a deny attachments. And you should see that bottom player. They're trying to get Delahiva, reverse Delahiva, uh, single leg X, and you're just denying, denying, denying. And then once the game, once you attach to a legit guard, then we can end the game. But now we can add on to that. Now that person, if they can sweep, you have, you cannot accept the sweep. So that top person is playing in the game. They're denying attachments, denying guards, and they're denying sweeps. And then you just keep building on it. And now what's that bottom player learning? Entries, control, hand fighting, grip fighting, uh, how to stop somebody who's going to run away. Once you do get that attachment, you got to yank and you got to hold on to that leg. And now we just keep building. And you can build it from the back, the front, whichever way you want, you're going to get there, you know? So why add in all the other stuff of the 15 Delahiva sweeps or the 
18 single leg X entries. No, you're going to find those things. You're going to start seeing them, but do it with somebody live who's just restrained, you know? And when you're, when you're constrained that much, that purple belt is not as good as they are when it's live sparring. It's, it kind of brings down their level because all they could do is hand fight. And if you just mm-hmm. hand fight, somebody's going to get on your leg eventually, <laughs> you know, or they're going to grab something or grab a wrist or whatever and, and kind of pull you in. So that's where I'm seeing a lot of the benefit of that and that transfer that I want to see, you know, in this gamified way we're talking about, you know, and then you could add in any rules you want. If your gym is no guard, that's how you play it. You know, that's Chris Payne's gym. There's the guys that never play guard. They don't accept it, you know. And then you can add that any way you want, you know. I think one of the funny, funny things about that is we're not playing guard currently because you don't need to. It will come exactly. back eventually. But it's like... Um, yes, yes. So, um, it's the same as with the defensive postures. So it's kind of, like, again, one of those um, objectivity moments of... You know, before before learning about running man and denying the the armpit space and the the red amber space or whatever, um, that you just people would uh, you know pass guard, get side control, and do a side control escape. Then all of a sudden, when you start hiding the armpit, um, all of a sudden we didn't know how to take the take side control. You think, well, it's gone, and then you spend six months suffering, and it's no point kind of teaching side control because no one can find the fucker um <laughs> I, I haven't showed anything from side control forever i haven't showed side control forever because what's the it's not there a lot of times you know it's just not there which after like six months to a year of of suffering and not finding side control eventually you know the 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 offense catches up with the defense and now we're hunting more effectively and now we're finding side control again we're getting kimuras etc but that was a six months to a year where it didn't make sense because it wasn't a problem. Um, and that's kind of the same point with guard currently is that our ability to hold down someone whilst trying to pass and move to a control position and defeat a defensive posture that they're doing yes. is fucking awful. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I mean. So it's like almost like we don't need a guard because we yeah. haven't maxed this out yet. Um, yeah, when we've maxed no. it out, then absolutely. What did I just knock over? No. Um, what am I on? So I was knocking something over then. Um, yeah, so it's like guard will come back, and like I said the the interesting thing is the what you just mentioned about attachments. We're currently doing because I had a bit of a we're going through a motion as well where I'm not teaching any submissions. I haven't taught any submissions in the gym since probably about two or three months. Um, just they haven't been there. Um, but then it has the the interesting issue of how do I teach, especially new white belts, how do I teach them submission defense if we're not doing submissions? Um, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a bit of a stone in my shoe on that one. Um, yeah. But the 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 point that I've hit is, like I said, deny attachments. Let you know if they're if they're approaching someone is. You know the same same as the understanding of the defensive postures. You don't let anyone behind your head. You don't let anyone into your armpits. You don't let anyone behind your knees. You know the the three D control. I think Charles referred to it as Charles Harriet. Um, and if they they 
are diligent and deny those controls, you you can't develop enough of an attachment of a of a major control position to then go to a minor control position. Um, and so it was, it was kind of weird that there's one of my white belts. I was I was training with him and. I was trying to hunt for leg locks. The kid doesn't know what leg locks are. The kid doesn't even know what guard is. And I couldn't choke him. I couldn't go for leg locks on him from my back. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Because he was just relentlessly hand fighting. He was like being uh, very diligent of going, no, I'm not going to let you in those places. And I think it was it was actually something that Preet said years ago. Of He called it lean, as in it's something that a... You're feeling combat sports, but not necessarily feeling jujitsu. Where if a judo guy or a boxer um, gets hold of you, like a, a judo person especially, like you'll feel their weight on you. If yeah. a boxer, you know, is approaching you, there's that there's that uh, metaphorical lean on you. Or if a wrestler grabs hold of you, yeah, you know you're carrying that wrestler. But you know, if a jujitsu person goes behind your neck or gets hold of you, you don't really feel the same level of threat. There's not that leaning pressure. Um, yeah. And it creates those bad habits that we will let people into those places and not deal with it. Of, you know, nine times out of 10, those grips that they may have may not lead to anything. It's just a grip that they have. But it's the one time out of 10 that you're going to come across some savage who can throw some very tight leg locks. And you're going to go, yeah. shit, I shouldn't have let yeah. them have that grip. But if they stay diligent and just treat all grips as that one out of 10, then you ain't going to get shit. And now we're going through a phase of, well, no one can get anything off our backs. And like you said, like, you know, no yeah. one can now get those Dele Heavers or anything like that because everyone's just really good grip fighting. And it's going to stay that way probably for the next year of we can't yes. get guard. You know, as soon as someone approaches, they're going to try and pass whilst heavily denying grips of hand fighting. You think, well, fuck, what's the point in teaching close guard or, or De La Hiva or whatever if you can't even get near the fuckers to even establish <laughs> a guard? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe in a year's time when we can hold them still for a second, maybe it'll make sense to teach submissions, but uh, uh, guards, but submissions definitely like we can't even get a control position now. Uh, so what's the point in teaching anything yeah. submission based? Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, I do like once a week I go train with the, the comp class at our gym and it's all the 20 and 30 year olds and they're, you know, they can wrestle and no gi and they got all the energy and all that stuff. So I'll roll with them and, you know, I pull guard first, you know, cause I want to, you know, cause they're going to come into the guard. So, yeah. so I give all, you know, I play just guard defense, guard retention. I look for my attacks. I look to attach to something and then they're, you know, then they keep pressuring through. And then as they pressure through, I just pull my bottom leg out. I start getting the turtle and I get up and then I pull back to guard again. So, you know, then the, the you know, the 200 pound blue belt, they this and that, they get frustrated and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you got to learn to keep me down because yeah. I'm either going to be playing guard or getting up and I want them to do it because then I want to get better at how I can get up too. So now there's already adaptation coming and I'm seeing new strategies to hold me down and things to, to, to keep me where I need to be. And that's what I want to see. I want that adaptation because what um, I've been playing with last week and I'm going to do more this week is, you know, the Charles, uh, you know, the Charles frame that you guys do. Um, I had this elbow frame and stuff. I don't know what to call, call it or whatever, but I, but I'm like, okay, so how can I take this 
and not overly prescribe it, not give a billion details on it, and how can I functionally put this into into sparring or into live role or into live training into a game? So I started thinking about it because, you know, I just think about things all the time. Like for some obsessive reason. So, uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'm actually want to start and I've been playing, I messed with it a little around. I'm like, how can I teach this to where I could get that quick transfer? You know, where can I get people using it? I don't want them to think of it as a technique. I don't want it to be a technique is a snapshot in time that works for that one time against that person. And we were not going to be able to duplicate it again. So I'll start in the full. You know, a defensive guard structure against pressure passing, right? Because I want that person to be able to hold that person down and guard. So I'll have the, you know, the good knee shield, the good frame, the, you, you know, uh, everything's there for the bottom player. And now I'm only just start with the elbow frame on the person's neck. Just start there in guard already. It's there. You got your knee shield, you got the elbow frame, and you're already up on your elbow. So all you got to do is pull that bottom leg out. And now you're mm-hmm. up on your feet, right? And you got the guard. So now that should be an easy game for that top person, to, the bottom player to win. Or if not, you know, the pr- bottom top player is going to adjust really quickly. Once the pressure's off, they're out. So now I'm going to back it up more. I'm going to take it from there and just keep backing up that elbow frame. And all you're going to use is guide them with your elbow frame to get out that bottom leg. So we're going to go from guard with the elbow frame. Then we're going to step it back some more. Maybe you already have uh, – or you could go to reverse and start all the way on the bottom and have that elbow frame in from somebody almost on your side, and all you have to do is get up. But I can play with those ranges at least three or four games between guard using it and on the ground. You could be on the ground already posted to start, or you could be in the guard with a leg already out. But that top person is constantly looking for that back leg because they're going to find out very fast that they're going to get up every time if they can't control you and if they take their pressure off. So now you're going to start playing with this frame, which is a technique, but I didn't have to tell you the million different ways to use it. This is when you use it. This is how you use it. Just use it here. And this will help you get up. And now you could do collar tie in front because if the person goes to the front end, that's a better grip to get up, right? So all you're going to be playing is front collar tie and inverted frame or elbow frame or whatever. That's your tool you're going to use. But everything else stays the same from guard to the ground. So that's what, and I'm going to run rounds like that. And I think that'll really show this will give you the ability to get up when you need to. And then combine with your other ways to get up, you know, scrambles or whatever. But not overly prescribe it in one person job. Get to your feet. Other person, do not let them up. Keep the pressure on the whole time. Because if you can't keep them down in guard, like you talk about, you can't, that person could stand up anytime they want if there's no pressure. So what's the point of showing guard if you can never hold somebody down in guard, you know? So it gives the guard player an out now. I think, so one of the interesting things from that, so when it comes to teaching the elbow frame, is I found that the, the moment that kind of made it click the best in the room was when I didn't show it from the ground. Um, so what I did was I, I I had everyone against the wall, like with their partner. So one person against the wall, one person on the outside. And I was talking about octagon control of 
Yeah, when you when you you know when there's judging criteria for MMA of you know walking someone down and making them keep their back against the wall, and you know because people kind of visualize that and go, well, I don't want to be there. Like if if I've watched enough MMA to know that's a really bad place. I mean, you can you know fight from the outfield, like absolutely, You'd be a counter striker, etc. But as a game plan, no one runs back first into the wall, um, and then. You know, showing the idea that right here's the frame because you want to keep them off you, and it's it's halfway to a pummel if the arm opens up. You know, you just yep. got to swing down, swing into the armpit, um, and then you know that's the the that's where the elbow frame would kind of fit in there. And then I said, right, you know, person on you know doing the octagon control, how would you keep them against the wall? And they walked each other down and kept their arms really close down without even me mentioning it uh, mm-hmm. and like denying grips and stuff. And I was like, it's funny that you did that. And I didn't even have to mention it because you knew they were already trapped. They were against the wall. You had octagon control. So you didn't have to overcommit your grips to take extra control. You you knew you already had them. Um, and... It then I said, right, well, just apply that idea to the ground. Like, if your back is on the floor, yeah. your back is against the wall, you want to get off the goddamn wall, like, unless you've got a counter-striking idea, and you're either going to create a frame to push against them or create an attachment to reverse the situation and put them against the wall, a.k.a. a sweep. Um, and if you're the person on top, you want to keep them against the wall because if they get off the wall, they're after you. You've lost your octagon control. So how are you going to keep them there with an intensity and also deny them grips because if you allow them to get their own grips they could reverse this situation and uh, then became a lot of like you know hand fighting defeating the elbow frame try and make sure you didn't allow for a pummel allow for an underhook that just is going to reverse it um and that's it the trying to say to people just stay on top etc it was like okay yeah we'll stay on top but then giving them that visualization of no, it's octagon control. You don't want your back yeah. against the wall because then you, you've you've limited your operation move, uh, operating room. Um, yep. Even if someone isn't physically controlling you, you're you're kind of trapped. Yeah. Uh, and no, that's just saying that now. You know, elbow frame comes directly in, and people, it's, it's like uh, you know, floor is lava. The second their ass, it's the floor. Yeah. And not only, you know, and also it was like it changed the angle a little bit on how they use the elbow frame. So instead of, I said, you know, if, if you've got the choices, you have to swing off the wall, um, you know, circle off left or right. Or if you could, you'd fly and flying is the equivalent of like swimming away with the elbow frame. But either way, you're going to have to get your back off the wall. How are yeah. you going to do it? Um, yeah. And cutting angles, cutting angles a lot, trying to just like, you know, push the head in so you could learn circle your, your back off, which is, now gives context to the elbow frame, which instead of just like right, put your elbow here. And again, you know, yeah. it's you need like context. Little, you, you need that. Yeah, your hierarchy of of where things fit together. Like you go right, you you almost got you get given information and go right. Where's it slot in? Right, it's in the technique. So I need to figure out the concept for me to then create the ladder of this uh, expression. So I've you know once I've come, I've got been given the technique, the elbow frame. What's the concept that kind of created the elbow frame that sits underneath it? Cool. Now I understand those two. How am I going to gamify it? 
create a positional sparring and then it can go into sparring and we've created the continuity that's now going to carry on all the way into competition um and so that recall is just there all the time if people need it um oh yeah and yeah. yeah no it, um we only played with a little bit on thursday I was just playing a little bit with uh, my teen class. Uh, I love training with the teens because they just they just want to go. They just want to train, right? <laughs> so we're just doing it, and we're and I was like, just and I even told them before that I said, listen, we're going to experiment. This is you know, I, I don't even. We're just all training partners, you know. We're just going to experiment. We're going to play. I want to play with this elbow frame. If you got a great idea, tell me. You know, we're going to talk about it, and we're just going to go. And, the, and they were getting up from it. Some were struggling, some were not, some were popping out. You know, you're going to get it. You, I said, it's going to be messy. It's getting that, that to you. I even said it in my uh, Globe Tires class. I'm like, embrace the mess. You know, the mess is the mess is training. If it looks, if you want everything to look perfect, that's just for me to look like at, look at a perfect class. But that's not where the jiu-jitsu is going. So we're playing, and then we, we spar afterwards. We go our, you know, our, our, I like to have sparring in every class at the end because it goes right into it. And then I'm, and I jump in. If somebody doesn't have a partner, I start rolling with them. And I'm like, you know, take the kid down, we're moving aside. And then guess what I felt? I felt that elbow frame in my neck. <laughs> and I'm like, this is great. I'm like, there you go. It's, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't, you know, amazing. And what is it, whatever, but it was there. So that transfer is already starting. And then yeah. it's going to start cleaning up as you keep putting these concepts out there. You know, but next week I'm not going to go, all right, forget that elbow frame. Here's a new way to get up. You know, it's, you need time in that. But you can – so you could take these little concepts. You could create as many games as you want. But if they all have the same goal and whatever, it, you're going to get that, you know, reps without reps. You know, repetition without yeah. repetition they talk about in the ecological approach all the time. And you're just going to put it in there. So now I get that. And now, hey, can I add that into more situations? It's almost kind of like – that's what I like about the defensive postures. A lot of them at the time when I was doing them more, it's like you got one posture that kind of answers 15 different things instead of having to learn 15 escapes. Just, you know, Preet will like – you know, he talks about it at the Globetrotters camp. I, I want to just write mini baby bridge for all my classes, but they won't let me do that. So he just has to take the mini baby bridge yeah, and yeah. put it into Kimura defense, Anaconda defense, whatever. But it's all the same. You're basically just creating that gap. You're making that space. You're getting your head in whatever, whatever the mini baby bridge is to you, how they, how it works. But that's what this, with these elbow frames or these different concepts is you're, you're teaching those. You're letting them learn how to express it. You know, not how I would express it. I'm not the same as you. You know, yeah. so we go in, and now they, now we apply it, and we find that sweet spot, which, which I think is the sweet spot that constraint led, whatever, whatever way you want to do it. And now you're going to get that transfer, that learning, and you're going to put it there, and you're going to see it go right into sparring. You know, I I don't know how many times over the years, like I've taught people an arm bar from close guard on their first second day. Because that's like the, you want to show them something cool, right? This is how you arm by your yeah. friends in the living room or something. You know, yeah. you like grab the collar, you pull the head down. Now the way I would show an arm bar is I would put you in the uh, – I, I think I usually call it trap in the shoulder. I think the Danaher guys call it like um, a top lock where you have one mm. – you have the guard, you have the one shoulder expo, uh, trapped, 
and just keep yeah. that guard. I'll give you the, I'll put you in that. That's the almost end game where all you got to do mm-hmm. is put the leg over the face and now you can start attacking arm, but I'll put you in that top lock or whatever you want to call it. You got to hold it as long as you can. So what's that top person going to do? They're either going to shimmy their elbow out. They're either going to press down into you. They're going to make it miserable for you. But now if you learn how to control that thing, and once you master that game, now all you got to do is move the leg over the face. And now the yeah. arm bar is there. And now we're going to back it up every way, like the triangle. Kind of like how you and Pre talk about teaching the triangle. Just keep backing it up on those steps. So that's all we're looking for. you know. And you could take it with a shoulder frame, with leg locks, with wrestling, with you know, whatever you want to do, we can, we can constrain them everywhere we want. And we could put you in all these different grappling situations. And it's going to add into your whole understanding of the foundation of grappling, you know, in my opinion, without, and it's going to cut down the time. I think that's the biggest thing. It cuts down yeah. the time. That That's what I'm looking for. You know, I don't want people to do 20 years to learn what I learned. Completely. And I think I've said it enough times is that, if I teach you how I was taught, it will take you 14 years to get to where I am now, and that seems woefully inefficient. And um, that's if they were six foot three, whatever you are, you know, maybe yeah. they'll get there in 14 years. <laughs> maybe they won't. Maybe it'll take them 20. Maybe it'll, you know, it doesn't know because they they're not you. They don't have your athletic background. They don't have your skill level. They don't have any of that. You know. But that's that's our jobs, I guess, is to to find. Uh, better and more efficient ways of of getting people to to that level as fast as possible and hopefully they can overtake us um and it was interesting as well this uh it all kind of you know comes around to that i said that you know the we we make our training partners better and try and find the best ways of getting them to that point i think the smashing the ball that my son really helps kind of visualize that um with these games that you're making do you because i know you you started to put out a lot more content online um how much how often do you do you post these these games up for people to like learn from because i say it's it's all well and good hearing these these descriptions online but if people are really interested in speeding up their jujitsu uh, where can they see more of this? Yeah, I, I've yeah, been trying. To, from. Yeah, I've been trying to do more on Instagram, and I want to make them short and quick, which is Instagram, which is how I would explain them anyway. Like, if you watched my class, I'm not giving you a crazy amount of description. So that, like, uh, I put the um, the body lock passing. I gave three games, and that's pretty much how much I would probably tell you. And you have mm-hmm. one or two goals, so you pop this in. And now you're just going to play that and play it till you, you know, get bored or switch it up and switch to another game that, you know, may be similar may not. It doesn't matter because you're going to keep you're going to keep playing these. So now I'm trying to like uh, when I go to my buddies on like a Tuesday here and there, we'll be in his basement and then I can kind of film something really quick. If they want to do something, then I can say, all right, let me just see if I can make something out of that. Because once I post those videos, then, you know, I start getting the comment, you know, I get some comments and this and that and likes, but then I'll get the message on the side, a bunch of them. Hey, that's a great game. I tried it out in here. I love it. Hey, I'm going to try this one out. Where can I get more of these games? Do you got a game for mount? Do you got a game for back? Do you got a mm-hmm. game for this? So I'm like, okay, so there is some value in it. And it's, 
And it's funny. It's like uh, if I wanted to be a super Instagram guy, I would put the the craziest moves I know. But that's the one that gets all the things. I want to put down the stuff that I like to do. Like, because, you know, I don't care if I got a, so many followers compared to whatever. Uh, I'm not doing it for that. I just want to put out stuff that I think is valuable to me. You know, you could go online and find the 18-step move, you know, put in on everywhere. Yeah. I want to kind of show you how I'm training, something different, because I love talking about this stuff. I love engaging in it. I like when it's a good conversation. I won't say, hey, this is garbage, what you're doing, what my way is the best. No, every, you know, that old, the, the traditional way, it works. Whatever way you want to call it, it's worked over the years. I just want to find a more efficient way for me and my students and there's a lot of smart people putting out some good stuff. If you read those books, if you watch what they're doing, you're going to pick up some stuff. And, and like, like we talked about before, my job as a coach is to keep getting better as a coach. You know, I'm not going to yeah. teach you. I, I've heard you say it where like, the people will message you like, hey, I'm still doing uh, You changed the way you did it. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you, you should be kind of changing it over the time. You'll learn a little more, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they get mad at you. They're like, "Hey, Chris, you that stuff you said doesn't work anymore." Well, it still well, works. I just found a little better way to do it. You know, where I changed my philosophy. Well, it's like this idea that you know, if, if over the space of three years, someone can easily go from you know blue belt to purple belt, even white belt to purple belt, if they work hard. Uh -huh. Why can't we improve that amount over the same amount of time? Like, oh yeah, you know how I was coaching four years ago when how to defend everything came out i was a white belt coach i'm yeah. now more of a blue belt purple belt coach why can't yeah. i change up my mind as well now if you were to compare how we rolled three or four years ago i imagine it'd be very different to what we do now um and i think that's one of the the downsides sometimes of putting content online yeah is it yeah time it it creates that photograph of of your jujitsu and and people can kind of go off that like yeah it was correct at the time we know yes. more now um yeah. and i get that you know i know preet says it a lot with his defensive bjj you have to kind of keep up with him to see what he's doing to kind of get the the latest ideas floating around his head and you know i can tell that you are very much of the the mindset of always thinking about how to make your jujitsu better like even when you like say you're you're doing stuff in the yard, it's like right. How do I coach better tomorrow? Um, yes, yes. It's... And so keeping up keeping up with what you do, like I say, it's almost like important. Like we we kind of jump in and do these conversations once a month of like right, what's changed now? Because <laughs> if you're thinking about it as much as I think you are, things yeah. probably change quite fast. Yeah, like, that's you know. uh, that's why I love. I actually you know not to what I I love listening to your podcast because. I, I, you're, you guys are constantly talking about updating stuff, constantly changing things. You'll admit this wasn't as good as that, and now I'm doing this, and it's like that's kind of the oh, oh hello, that's that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the fun part, you know? Like it's uh, I've learned more. Like it's funny, like you want to get to that black belt level, whatever that is. I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't even know how to like rank people anymore. Like it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. It really doesn't make any sense, but we have to do it and we have to whatever. But since I've been a black belt for, and I've been in those 20 some years, my black belt was way later because I was, wasn't doing the gi. Mm. But in this last three, four years, I, you know, four years I've been a black belt. I've learned more if than previously, 
And usually are people like, they get the black belt and they're like, well, now I'm set. I'm good. I'm going to teach what I know. And this is what I'm going to, no, you're going to, you're got to learn more. You got to keep going, you know, and I, that's what makes it fun for me, you know, and then I want to be able to add on, but it's these little different things we pick up. And I like, you know, look at Preet. He went from Hawking to 2.0 to the running man's at 2.0 and he keeps changing it. You're changing your whole structure all the time. Um, because you'll see these as the game gets better, but like look at the current state of jujitsu. It's not what it was five years ago. It's not what it was two years ago. You know, Craig Jones literally made a living off just leg locking people from what saddle. Now he does. Now he's standing up more and doing this and doing that. Gordon was leg locking everybody. Then he started passing everybody. You know, you have to keep changing what you're doing. You know, uh, when the Mende brothers, when Hoffa would just Baron Bowling literally everybody with the same Baron Bolo, he would Baron Bolo everybody. And then people got a little better. And then now he's going to the crab ride and the X on the leg and the posture this way. And they didn't do it just by learning a new way to do it. It emerged from their room probably getting better, people they mm-hmm. competing against getting better, and now they have to adapt to it, you know? So that's that's how I am as, as a coach now. I have to keep adapting to what I'm seeing, what information is available. We got more information now than we ever had, and we're going to keep getting more information. You know, and you got guys like Greg Souders coming in, and he's doing his thing, and you got those people coming up, and then you got, you know, B-team guys doing it this way, and the Gi guys are doing it this way, and, you know, Marigali, he's learning yogi stuff. The guy was one of the best Gi players out there. And now he's like, well, I got to kind of figure out how to do this nogi stuff. It's different, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. That's the fun part, you know. That's the fun part of jujitsu. I'm not, I'm not teaching kata, you know, from from my karate days. I, I'm not teaching chun ji and whatever I learned is <laughs> whatever. But those katas were passed down for so long. I don't, I don't want the jujitsu kata, you know. I want the live training and the adaptation to keep forming, and I want to make. I want my, if I kind of, the games help, I think what you were talking about, if you just drilled all the time and everybody was always, that one guy was always better than them, those other people can't catch up because they're doing, because yeah. if everybody's learning the same stuff, it's just the same drill, the best guys are going to go up and the bottom guys are going to stay where they are and they make it a little increment. But now you throw in all the live training and the different aspects and the self-learning and that autonomy and all that other fun stuff you're going to raise that room up and now it's going to kind of level out a little more, you know, and it'll make that person who was good. You'll make him a little better. And then he goes to another gym or a competition and you're probably going to do better, you know? Cool. Yeah. And, and I did, it's, it's funny. We know we've got to the point where we've condensed everything down to pretty much a handful of ideas and just repeating the same ideas and the I don't know how to to rank people anymore, like you said, like because yeah. I've got white belts I can't not deal with, and even thinking that out loud that it shouldn't be that way. I should be able to clown every white belt that ever walks in front of me, as long as they're not some sort of D one yeah. wrestler. I should be able to clown yeah. every white belt, and to yeah. have white belts I can't deal with because. You know, it's, it boils around back to, yeah, I say, trying to find these concepts and create these games to to 
transfer this kind of base knowledge across like you know what what constitutes as advanced or, or beginning technique but you know we condense it down to hear the hear the defensive ideas don't let anyone into these 3d spaces behind the head armpits behind the knees um so always deny either by hand fighting or blocking those places um if your ass hits the floor either use hard frames to stop them getting past you or get the fuck up um and if you're on top treat them like it's octagon control either pin them against the wall or crowd the space that they can't get off the wall but either way you're keeping them against the wall you're not letting your 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 own back hit the wall um and just that alone and creating games around that in circles uh, and and working on that basic movement repeatedly i've never felt more painful white belts uh, if i was to if i was to put myself at blue belt against these guys i would be like nah he's, that guy's not a blue belt like he's, he's moving really crap yeah. um and it was weird that i actually uh, had a guy come down to the gym last week uh wanted to do some some privates been training at a uh more established franchise shall we say of yeah. gyms and was you know still a white belt but was having issues learning the um sequences as he called them and you say it's the the kata as it were and remembering the sequences and i say it's it's that still exists and in, as much as you say like you know that people still learn from the mainstream model uh and have success of it i don't think they do as much as we think they would uh or should i think it's the amount of people that i hear like oh yeah but i i, I learn better from conceptual teaching i think we yeah. all fucking do yeah, um, well, and what's the uh, thing in all of life? I don't care if it's a job, if it's whatever. What does everybody always say? Oh, I'm more of a hands-on learner. Of course you are. You know, like yeah. you, you got to touch it. You got you, you got to get in it. And and that's why I was when I was when I went down to Greg's gym and I said with the ecological stuff, I go it works so good with grappling or jujitsu because it's probably the best athletic event to do this with. Because guess what? You're always in contact with the person. Mm-hmm. It's not basketball. It's not soccer. It's not baseball. You're literally grabbing a person almost the whole time. And I can only move based on what you're doing to me and what I'm doing to you. How can I teach you that in a technique step by step? You do this, mm-hmm. I do that. How, how can I possibly do that? You know, and then what we see from the traditional model, people that are really good are generally the ones that are good at athletics, they're good at sports, or they drill and spar all the time anyway. So that mm-hmm. kind of, they're going to get to that top level doing that. But what's the level of everybody? What's the level of the white belt? Yeah, what's yeah. the level of the whatever? And I think we're saying with the ranking thing, is I'm kind of seeing it now where we're kind of turning more into wrestling where <laughs> they don't really have the ranks. And it's funny because yeah, yeah. it's like, I don't, like I'm saying, I don't know how to rank somebody. And uh, the old way of jujitsu was pretty easy. You'd go, well, if he's if he's beating up all the white belts, he's probably a blue belt. And yeah, yeah. W- when the guys when the blue belts beating up all the blue belts, now he's a purple belt, right? That that's how we kind of did it here and there, you know. Or somebody yeah, yeah. could come up with a curriculum and a, whatever, whatever that is, you know. Let let's just get down to grappling and see what we got. And I think it's more fun. Like uh, 
I don't even, you know, we do a lot of no gi. Our gym has switched more to no gi, and we don't even care about rank as much anymore. We're just kind of training. What's the what's the point of this rank? You know, no. At this level, I, I, I think that circles back round to creating that competition in the gym. Like you see someone who's like a purple belt and go, oh, I'm going to compete against that purple belt because I want to beat up that purple belt. And you, and then people at those rank thinking that their rank only stays that way if they don't get beaten up by lower ranks. So yes. that's why they then smash up the blue belts and the white belts because they think there's no way I'm going to let you get anywhere near me because it's going to make other people think I'm not as good. Instead of, we're just a team. Like the ranks yeah. are there. Um for competition, for competition or, yeah yeah but yeah because yeah, uh, it's if not it's highlander style right you, you, yeah. you, you beat the person you take their belt you know and you take the rank that's what people want to do but let's let's not even worry about that and let's just train and try to get better everybody yeah yeah exactly and it was funny i think uh, christian actually did one of those uh inflammatory conversations and usually gets me involved somehow <laughs> I wonder um, why. As at the main camp, mm-hmm. uh, saying what are the point in belts sometimes? I get it for competition purposes, but they do more harm than good uh, in in a yes. in a gym environment. And I think the the fun one he also mentions about the whole stripes on a black belt. Like, does that make any sense? It's like rings on a tree. Like, okay, I've been a black belt for like six years. I have now two stripes. Um, he yeah. said the only reason we have those is just so older, unathletic black belts can still have meaning when they can't yeah, fight yeah. anymore. Um, <laughs> that just means you're an old black belt, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I know you're, I know you're better than me, young, athletic, uh, competitive black belt, but you still have to bow down to me because I have more stripes, yeah. even though you can yeah, kick my ass. Yes, that that just um, makes all the the belts just make a a really bad hierarchy and looking down at people and all that other stuff. Like I'm saying, I, yeah. I treat the teens I train with as just my training partners sometimes, you yeah. know, it's, it, yeah. it's more fun. It's a better environment in my opinion. And you just go, you know, like the white belts, the blue belts or whatever, who, who cares? Let, let's just, let's yeah. just train to me. The funnest, the best part of jujitsu is training jujitsu, right? So yeah. let's just go and train and see what we can come up with and be creative and explore. You know, no, exactly. Um, I think that's a, a topic for a whole other day about oh, yeah. dismantling the hierarchy, yeah. dismantling the patriarchy of jujitsu. <laughs> the patri- the patriarchy. Um, yes. <laughs> we can jump into that one, but yeah, I think it's I think it's quite important. Like I say to you are becoming quite prolific of your your content when it comes to talking about these these new training ideas, and it's one thing that I am super aware of is that you know, especially with putting out so many podcasts. Um, I mean, you can't actually see it, but I'm actually building a. If anyone's watching this on YouTube, I'm actually building a small matted studio behind me with lighting, so I can actually record more things uh, and not in the gym. I can actually record them at home, um, which means oh, nice. hopefully my output should be catching up pretty soon. Podcasting is easy; I just have a microphone and headphones. But recording content, unless I'm in the gym, which is about an hour away from where I live, it's it's a pain in the ass. But Rob is making way more content than I am right now, and he's, oh, you are putting out these these games and and all these kind of ecological uh, constraint led games. Uh, something I need to be doing. You are doing them, so 
uh, I think I will put a link to your Instagram um, in the description wherever people can find this. So if you are listening to this via Spotify or Apple or Google, uh, go find it on YouTube. The description should be in there for a link to, to Rob's Instagram because he is uh, creating these these videos of these games. So if you if you are interested in learning jujitsu this way or you're having issue with learning jujitsu uh via the mainstream model and sequencing, etc. Uh if you have a, a willing training partner or you are a coach and you're looking at changing things up, Rob's got some some good games coming out of it and uh I will put your your details on for people to find that. Um will you be releasing anything soon? Are you going to be releasing any longer form stuff like on YouTube? Well, first off, thank, thanks for saying all that. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for saying all that. And and I always like to say, I go, I'm just learning this stuff too. Like I'm actually being an ecological coach myself. I'm trying, I'm failing, I'm doing some success. I'm trying different things, and I want to see what kind of works. I'm no expert. I'm just trying different things, and I, and I just love trying to learn. And so right now, it's the Instagram stuff. I keep batting in my head, hey, should I do some YouTube stuff? Make some longer form stuff. You know, I think that's kind of the natural progression of things, but I kind of like the Instagram thing because it's kind of quick right now and easy. Yeah, yeah. And I can kind of get myself going with it. So, and just, you know, training my students and training at the gym, maybe I'll do some more content from the get gym, maybe some more live uh, live games of the, of the people actually doing it or some rolling just to kind of throw out ideas because the nature of this stuff is I'm not teaching you a prescriptive technique. You're actually take this. You can use it as a starter game. You can adjust it any way you want, and just build yourself from there. And just uh, kind of do it. And I'm going to be in uh, Arizona in November for Globe Trotters, and I'm, hopefully I'll get a couple classes. I'm going to do. A, they're going to be all game based, of course. And then I'll probably, if they're asking for any talks or anything like that, I'll probably do like an ecological talk. I did one at Maine which kind okay. of stunk because it was the same time as your winter soldier class. So I didn't get to see it. And, you know, it's, and obviously I didn't think anybody was going to show up, but like 15, 20 people showed up and they, and I got to like ramble for an hour. So that was cool. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to learn how to do this public speaking stuff as much as I can. This is we're all kind of learning how to, how our ideas kind of come together and what we could talk about so that that went really well. So that's it. I'm just going to keep trying to do that and see where you know it goes. And I just I just love training. So, and I, I like to look, I like to show stuff. You know, if people get some value, I get message me. I get messages all the time. Hey, that was a great game. This was a whatever. I, I love hearing stuff like that. It kind of gives you a little kick to keep doing it. You know. Yeah, completely. Um, well, what I'll do is I say I'll, I'll put the the links up for everyone to to go find these games. Um, I, I'm. I say it's, it's interesting uh, how you are creating this this new platform and, and putting so much effort into it. And it's funny that you mentioned the Winter Soldier class. Don't worry, it's out of date already. Like, <laughs> I'd ignore it. <laughs> it's, it's already out of date. Anyone who went to that class, yeah, sorry, I, I know better now. <laughs> it's been five weeks. I'm allowed to. Uh, I'm allowed to say it's it's out of date. Um, oh, the Winter Soldier <laughs> got put back on ice. You know. Well, yeah, it. he did. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 at the Heidelberg camp in three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, and I'm oh. redoing how to defend everything like three or four point by now. Um, yes. So we'll see if that gets recorded and and what people think about that. But it'd be, yeah, uh, it'd be interesting as well because I guess Instagram does allow you to. 
to keep this as a as a history. So it'd be interesting to see where your games go if you repeat games in the future and they just change up and go. Nah, yeah. I don't do that anymore. It seems silly. Um, <laughs> thank you for for staying. Oh, no, I'm good. Stay, keep keeping me up to uh, to, <laughs> to have up. this conversation. Like I say it'd be interesting to to kind of keep doing these follow ups and and having. Um, checking back in with you and seeing like you know what's kind of come out of these games if you change how you do games uh changing how you you train in the gym um and and hopefully if i can get back out to the states at some point this year uh we'll have to just do like a a, a games day we'll just record a bunch of stuff and put it online just like <laughs> what we uh oh yeah what we can kind of come up with um maybe I, yeah, I, be- i'll see if i can make it to arizona who knows yeah that'd be great <laughs> um that one broke no we're good um this has been a lot of fun thank you for uh for agreeing to this on such short notice as well like i say it was um especially with the the amount of stuff you've been putting out i was like right we need to get talking because i'm interested oh, to see yeah. how much things have changed since uh since maine in five weeks uh, yes. thank you for your time Rob and uh, I look forward to either speaking to you again soon really soon or I'll see you in America I'm sure at some point yeah. uh, thanks for having me on Chris Any anytime love talking to you it's been a pleasure thank you dude I had to go and get thank some you. sleep it's like All right. yeah. go to four sleep. hours oh yeah good. Good <laughs> oh, sleep, no, bro. this is a bad choice I shouldn't have said yeah. 12 o'clock at night to, hey you're free at 12 o'clock to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. it's only 7 uh, o'clock for you yeah um yeah, we could do earlier next to... time for you. I, I like upstand. I like rustic Chris, which doesn't exist. <laughs> no, he doesn't exist. He is a myth. Like, yes. I've got um, a bunch of other guys coming on soon. I keep picking Americans. Maybe you guys are interesting. Who knows? Um, yeah. Don't tell the Brits I said that. They're all boring. Yeah. Uh, thank you, dude. It's been a pleasure. All right, brother. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye.